My name is Matt. Hey guys. I'm one of the pastors here. And I am wearing plaid, even though I'm not going to the women's event. Every good story has a goblin. I think we've said enough there. Many good stories have goblins. One of the uh, great stories from about 150 years ago is the story of the princess and the goblin. How many of you guys are familiar with the princess and the goblin? All right, good. New to basically all of you. So the princess and the goblin is uh, a story about a little girl named Irene. It's written by George MacDonald. Read it to your kids, it's fantastic. But it's about a little girl named Irene. She's eight years old and she... um, she lives in this big house, and she finds herself discovering her fairy grandmother. Up in the attic, she discovers that she has this fairy grandmother, and she goes up there, and she'll meet with her and, and talk to her, and she learns from her. And, but most of the time, she goes up there, and her fairy grandmother is not there, and so she's not quite sure how that works. And so finally, one time, her fairy grandmother looks at her and says, Listen, Irene, I'm going to give you this ring. And attached to this ring is this really fine, thin thread And to that thread is connected this little ball, if you will, this little ball of thread. And so here's what I want you to know. If if ever you find yourself in danger, I want you to take this ring, I want you to put it under your pillow, and then I want you to follow the thread. And Irene says, well, well, fairy grandmother, I I can't see it. She says, yes, but, but touch it. Can you feel it? And she says, yeah. Yes, I can feel it. She says, okay, so if ever you're in danger, well, not too long after that, Goblins. Goblins come. Goblins come into her home and she can hear them and she finds herself terrified, but she remembers. She takes her senses and she realizes, ah, my fairy grandmother. And so she takes her ring, she puts it under her pillow, and she starts following the thread. And she keeps thinking, this is going to take me to my fairy grandmother and to safety. She said it would bring me to her. And so she follows with her, th- with her fingers the thread, thinking it's going to take her to somewhere safe, maybe up in the attic or somewhere in the top of the castle. But no, it doesn't. It takes her outside, to her surprise. And not just outside, but then further and further, deeper deeper into the very cave of the goblins. You just find yourself confused. Why would I be going into the cave of the goblins? But deeper and deeper into the cave she goes until finally she finds herself at an impasse, at a dead end. There's just a whole bunch of stones in front of her. She's distressed. Not sure what this means. I was supposed to follow the thread. And so she's stuck and she's thinking, I know, maybe I'll just go back up. And she turns around to try and feel the thread, but it's, it's gone. It's vanished. She can't go back. And so she does what every eight-year-old girl in that situation would do. She falls to the ground and starts to cry. And she cries and cries and, and then remembers. She told me to just follow the thread. And the thread goes through this pile of rocks. And so... So I'm going to figure out a way through this pile of rocks. And so she climbs up, she starts pulling down the rocks and some small boulders and her fingers start getting numb and then start getting bloody from pulling off one rock after another. And eventually she starts making this little hole and she says a little gap in there and, and then she hears a voice. It's Curdy. Her friend Curdy has been trapped behind this wall with, from the goblins behind, and, and, he, and she shows up and starts pulling out and, and he's able to climb out. And Curdy says, how, how did you find me? How did you know I was here? And she says, I didn't know, and I didn't even know why I was following this thread, and I don't know why it led me here, but now I know. It was to come and rescue you. The thread went on into this, into this gap, and Curdy climbed out and said, great, let's go. Let, let's go back up the cave. Let's go back out to the outside. Let's go hide somewhere else. And she says, no, I, I have to follow the thread. It's supposed to take me to my grandmother. That's to safety, and I, and I must follow the thread. 
You're going to have to read the rest of the book by yourself. (laughs) Follow the thread. Follow me, Jesus says. He shows up on the banks of of the Sea of Galilee, and he looks at these (sighs) fishermen, and he makes this audacious ask. Come with me. Follow me. And it's counter to all the ways in which uh, disciple, rabbi kind of relationships were, were manifested or were begun in this time. You don't see it in the Old Testament. You don't see it in any of the Jewish or rabbinic writings. No rabbi went and chose his disciples. That's not how it worked. Disciples chose their rabbi. They, they would go and say, you know what? Your kind of teaching, the, the direction in which you see, the way in which you understand the Torah, is, that's the way I would like to follow. And so I'm going to follow, follow you but not Jesus, because he's no ordinary rabbi. And he goes out and he starts plucking guys from the seashore. From the banks of the river, he calls them and he says, follow me. I want you to follow me into the good life, into the life that I have for you. So this morning, we're going to look at three things. Why does Jesus' call to follow him have weight? Why does Jesus, when he calls, why does it have weight? Why does it have substance? And then what does it look like to follow Jesus, really? And how do we become the kind of people who will follow him? Well, why does Jesus' call to follow him have substance? Why does it have weight? Why do they go? What is it about him? Well, when we find out, Jesus has just begun his ministry. He's probably preached a few times based on verse 14 and 15 that we saw last week, but, but nothing's really happened. We haven't seen him do anything yet. But he calls these four fishermen, and it says in very Markan manner, immediately three things happen. He teaches with authority in the synagogue. He performs an exorcism of a demon-possessed man with his own authority, And he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then he ends up healing a whole bunch of people in their town by his own power. Why does Jesus say, follow me? And why can he say, follow me? It's because he has the authority in and of himself. Like he has the authority. It comes comes from from him. Jesus is, he has authority to declare what is true. That's why he can call disciples. His teaching, it says, astounded people. It surprised them. They weren't totally sure what to do with it. They said it's new, not new like it's a new idea. New as in it's qualitatively different. It teaches in a way that, that has power, exousia. It's declarative. It's, it's, defined, it's defined by an authority that seems to come from within him, not from some second source, which was what all the scribes would do. They would say, well, according to Gamaliel and all the things that he says, therefore you must do this. And Jesus doesn't talk this way. He doesn't quote other people. He talks from himself, from God, as God. It's not derived power. It's actual power. He stands in front of everyone and says, this is ultimate reality. This is what I declare to you. That's what's really different from people who follow Jesus and from people who don't. People who follow Jesus understand that Jesus is declaring that he's God and and that the way that he sees reality, both our reality, your reality, mine, what's true about him, what's true about me, what's true about the world is in fact true. That he is the truth. 
So Jesus has authority to, to declare what's true, and he also has authority to cast out what's evil. You notice he doesn't use any incantation. There's no, you know, there's no special ritual. He doesn't rub anything. He doesn't do any kind of, you know, rain dance. By his own words, he doesn't call on anyone else's name. By his own power, by his own authority, he says, come out. I'm freeing you. I'm removing evil from you because of who I am, by declaration of my voice, not another's voice. And what he declares is done, silence and fleeing from evil. Jesus is able to cast out evil by his own name, and then he's able to heal by his own power. There's no, uh, there's no ointments. There's no elixirs. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law, and he just takes her by the hand, and he says, stand up. And her fever, which is candidly kind of an ordinary thing, if fever leaves her. He meets her in the very ordinary ways, and of course then we see he's in front of the town and he's meeting people that have all kinds of diseases and distresses and illnesses, and Jesus steps straight into the middle of the physical struggles of their lives, and he brings healing by his own power, because he can. He has his own authority. All the way at the end of Jesus' life, he'll be talking to his disciples. He'll have died and, and, and risen again, and, and he'll look at them and he'll say one of the most incredible sentence, set of sentences in the Bible. He'll say, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, he'll say, all authority, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And because that's true, now you can go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and teaching them to obey all the things that I have taught you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. All authority has been put under me. Um, all means, in, in the Greek, means all, if you're wondering. It's missing nothing. And from the beginning here, Jesus is coming and he's saying, I want you to follow me. I want you to come and, and do with me the things that I'm going to do. And he does it because the authority is in him. It is from him. and It's not from anybody else. I don't have that kind of authority. I mean, I could like say, hey, okay, everybody stand up. We're going to do jumping jacks, 20 jumping jacks right now. And there would be, and amongst you, there are the like jumping jack fans, you know, and she'd be like, all right, we're doing some jumping jacks. But candidly, most of you would look at me and go, yeah, I mean, Matt Dunn would do jumping jacks just to prove that he can. But, but other than that, what we would find is we'd find that you'd be like, no, I'm not doing jumping jacks. And you know what? I can't make you, can I? I'm not really. I, ca I, can't, de I can't demand it. I can't, I can't even require it of you. And that's just jumping jacks. But Jesus can He doesn't have derived power. He has actual power. Why does Jesus' calling to follow him have weight? Because of who he is. Because of who he is and because he has actual ruling authority. Because he's actually the king. He has the rightful and unimpeded power to act. And so he says, follow me. 
follow me? What does it look like to follow him? What does it look like to follow him? He has all authority. He demonstrates it in all kinds of ways, but through what he's declaring to be true, but by, by how the power he has over evil, by the, the ways in which he can bring health to illness. All power and authority are his. But what does it look like? What does it look like to follow him? Well, the first thing we see is that um, it looks like leaving. It looks like leaving. Simon and, and Andrew are brothers, and it says that they, that they left their, their nets. And I don't know, I don't know if any of you are net fishermen, probably not. I know we have some fishermen in the house. Um, <laughs> that section over there, especially. But they left their gear. It says that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, doesn't say that they left their gear, it actually says that they left their dad. And all the hired servants sitting in a boat, and they, they went and followed. The first thing of what it means to follow Jesus is, is that there's stuff you have to leave. And, and not, 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 just, not just bad stuff, like, yeah, leave the bad stuff, but, but the good stuff, like a vocation or, or a sense of calling or something that you're excited or passionate about or, or your family or things that are meaningful to you, people that are meaningful to you, a way of doing life, a way of spending your life. It's leaving. We talked about last week that about repent and believe that you, you, can't, you can't really believe that Jesus has this good life for you, this, this planned, purpose, desired life for you. You can't believe it if you're not willing to repent. You can't hold on just to, to a different kind of life, not repent, kind of do your own way, self-determine, self-actualize, get your own good life your own way, and at the same time believe, and this is basically version number two. You can't, you can't really follow Jesus if you're, if you're not letting go, if you're not dropping, if you're not leaving. You have to leave if you're going to follow. You have to leave if you're going to follow, and you have to be willing to leave if you're going to follow him. And what following, what following is not is it's not following Jesus as long as as long as he works for me. See, that's, candidly, that's just religion, right? That's how religion works. This is how religion works. As you say, okay, I, there's this thing I want over here. There's this success. There's this, uh, there's this life. There's this uh, joy. There's this certain kind of, and I'm going to use Jesus or Christian tenets, and, and it's going to, and look, I'm going to follow Jesus. I have decided to, 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 my, to my concept of success, to my career, or to, to the kind of family that I want, or the, or the way I want my kids to behave. And so, I, boy, Jesus, you work for me. We're gonna, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. But the thing is that this is not how Jesus works. Jesus is not interested in being an avenue to your goals. He's not interested. He, he is the goal. He's not interested in being a means to your end. He actually is the end. And so this is what following Jesus is, is not. He says, follow not my teachings, not follow some ideal. He says, follow me. Follow me. I'm the thing. We have to leave if we're going to follow him. And these little orange cones can be called a thousand things, right? They can be called idolatry or 
They can be called the good life that you make for yourself or that you want for yourself. The thing that you've decided will be true once you graduate from college, once you get married, once you have kids, once you get the first house, once you, once you, once you. That's the good life that we're aiming for. And, and, and Jesus says, I'm not going to participate in, in helping you follow your life. I want you to follow me. I want you to be willing to leave in order to follow me. And so is there anything in your life right now any orange cones in your world that, that you've attached a Jesus hook to and, and you're singing the right songs, but, but you're not really willing to leave that. Is there any version of the good life that you're so committed to that really to follow him and whatever he would invite you into or already is, it just doesn't work. It's not possible. Paul says, that to follow Jesus is like walking. He says in Galatians, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, by the way, and you won't, you won't fulfill, you won't give in to the desires of the flesh. But his whole point is the way you actually walk is not by not giving in, but by actually walking. Walk by the Spirit, he says. Walk or, or live in light of the Spirit. One of the other ways he says is, he says, keep step with the Spirit. That's actually what it means to follow Jesus. Keep in step with the Spirit. Following Jesus is, um, is therefore something like this. I'm going to take you on a journey with me. Following Jesus is um, like him saying, Matt, yes, Lord, I want you to follow me. All right. I want you to follow me because I have a good life for you. And I, Lord, I, I'm excited about a good life. Um, Matt, I want you to follow me wherever you go. I, I understand, but I, I think the good life is here. And he says, no, no, I want you to follow me wherever I take you. And, and I guess we're going this way. And he says, Matt, I want you to follow me. I want you to take you wherever I will go. And that includes back here. This is obscurity. This is not having anybody with you. For some of us, this is hell. This is not knowing, Father, what, what are you doing? This can't be good for me. Matt, I, I told you, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Okay, then. Well, now... Well, now I'm, look at all you. <laughs> Father, look at all these faces. It's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot more responsibility than I actually think I signed up for originally. And um, they expect things. Yeah, they do, Matt. And um, this might fail this might fail, this might fail, and, and I don't really want to look stupid, or I don't want to fail in front of people, certainly, and I know, Matt, part of what it means to follow me is, is to fail, and sometimes to fail big, and sometimes to fail in front of people. It's, it's looking stupid when you've committed yourself not to look stupid. That's some of what it means to follow me. Well, Father, is it just me, or am I going in the wrong direction? It seems as though the good life is, 
is over there. I thought that's that's what we'd kind of agreed to. It's over by the front there. It must be near the, um, it's got to be nearer to, to that communion table at least, right? I don't like this direction. I know, Matt. I know what I'm doing. I know the way. Oh, but, okay, this, this I can get, I can get behind. This is straightforward. I have a sense of where things are unfolding. I like this part of my life now. This is the good life. I'm enjoying you, Lord. Yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying you too, Matt. You're right. This is the good life. Well, this is exciting. So exciting. I think we could just continue this way forever. And ever. And ever. There we go. But Lord, what is this? Where are we going now? Well, now this is not what I had planned. I, uh, I don't want to be the kind of person that, that following you is going to inconvenience other people. I, let's just be honest, I don't, I don't want to be needy. I'm fine with y'all being needy. I just, I just don't want to be needy, Lord. And so, um, I know, Matt. But see, this is one of the ways in which you're going to experience the good life is that it's going to have to cost other people for you. Well, then I guess I'm going to need some help. So I'm going to have to ask you to stand and, and to have this cost you, all of you, all the way down this row <laughs> with your... That's going to be awkward. No, you're not going to move. We're, going to, we're just going to make this awkward. <laughs> and I'm going to follow this around. You can sit. <laughs> See, it's costing people. Yes, Father, I don't want this to cost anyone. But it is true. Excuse me. <laughs> Bottom line is that I do need you. Even though I pretend like I don't. Need a hug? It's gonna be it's gonna be okay, right Mike? Thank you. Um Lord, not these people though. <laughs> Honestly, Lord, I um <clears throat> these are not my kind of people. I think I think you know this. I know Matt, but they're my kind of people. Well, I, um, they're needy, and they're demanding. Um, I know, they are. They are, Matt. They're needy and demanding, and, um, and part of the good life is actually going to be you walking with them and walking through them and being a part of them. This is something what the good life looks like. So I need you to raise your feet. Let me be with you. Awkwardly, I don't want to be. These are needy and troublesome people, especially these two. <laughs> Father, I think I'm getting the hang of this. When you take me places, some good things happen. You surprise me with good, and so I'm going to I think I'm going to be able to trust you from now on. 
And even with tough people, even being needy, even going directions I didn't anticipate, even some isolation in the darkness, some obscurity. Not a fan of obscurity. I just, I feel like we're underway, Lord. We figured it out. We figured out a way to, to be together, to have a relationship together. This feels like the good life. We're moving, things are changing. Things are changing. Things aren't changing. Am I doing something wrong? I failed somehow? Maybe if I go faster. No. Father, what's what's going on? Oh, you're you're following me, Matt. But we're not going anywhere. Following you. Yes, I I have very specific things that I'm doing with you right now as you follow me right here, waiting. I don't like waiting. This too is the good life, Matt. But Lord, I don't like waiting. I know, Matt. I'm waiting with you. This is taking a long time. Maybe what you're thinking about this illustration. <laughs> this is what the, good, the with God life looks like, Lord. And I gotta be honest, right now it's taking so long, I'm wondering if maybe just for a moment I could go ahead and, you know, I'm just tempted, Lord, just for a second to go over and maybe just hook something different. I've been waiting kind of a long time. Not much has happened. And let's just be honest, it feels like futility. What's, what's going on? There must be another good life for me because this one is going nowhere, it would seem. I know what it's like to be tempted, Matt. And for real tempted. And I know, contrary to opinion, this is hard and difficult, but I... You've, you've hooked on before to other things, haven't you? you? You've chosen to make your own good life and, and every single time it has never returned on its promises. But, it, but maybe this time it will. It is making promises. It's a new thing. And this is getting old. I'm tired and I'm weary. Matt, the good life is with me. I, I am the good life with you. Stay with me. Follow me even here. Trust me even with this. And I don't know about you, but this is where the good life always leads me. We're following Jesus always at some point or another, multiple times along the way. It leads me here. It leads me to him. Oh, and boy, it's circuitous at times. But it it seems to take me to him. And you know what's amazing is that Jesus is very kind. I don't know if you know this. He's very kind. He doesn't tell you the road all the way at the beginning. 
You know that he doesn't tell James, hey, listen, James, I want you to come and I want you to follow me. And for three years, you're going to be with me and you are going to do and see some amazing things. Also, during those three and a half years, people are going to hate you. You're going to be crowded by people all the time. You're never going to have a moment's breath. You're going to try to escape from people saying, Lord, can we send them away, please? Religious leaders and political leaders are going to threaten you. You're going to be so hungry sometimes that you're going to be walking through a field. You're going to have to like rub together just some grain just to get some food into your mouth. You're not going to have anywhere to lay your head. And when you do lay your head down in some field, you're going to be laying next to Peter and he snores and you know how bad that's going to be. It's going to be hard. There's going to be times you're going to find yourself in a boat. It's going to be a storm so scary and you're a fisherman. You're going to be terrified and you're going to think you're going to die. Yeah, it's going to be scary to follow me. On top of being scary, it's going to feel futile. People aren't going to respond well. People aren't going to like what you're saying or doing. You're going to find yourself tempted to think that, that all the other disciples just are envious of you because you got to go on the Mount Transfiguration. And then you know what? You're going to find yourself being jealous of them. No, 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 I'm the greatest. That's what it's going to look like to follow me. I'm going to call you on that. Yeah, and then, um, and then you're going to fail. I mean, abject failure. You're going to recant and reject and, and ignore me. At my greatest hour of need, you're going to run away. And then after I've died and after I'm risen, I'm, I'm going to come back. And, 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 but before that, you're going to find yourself dis- disturbed, uncertain. You're going to be angry, confused. What's happening right now? This is not the story the way it was supposed to go. And then, after I'm risen, I've given you my spirit. You're going to start talking about me. And some new amazing things are going to happen. And then you're going to be put in prison. And then you're going to get a beating. And then you're going to be killed with a sword. That's the full story. But Jesus doesn't tell James that on that bank. He just looks at James and John and Peter and Andrew. And he says, young men, follow me. Just come after me. Because what I want you to do is I want you to come to be with me to follow who I am. I have good and scary and terrifying news for you. But today, all I need you to know is that you can follow me. And tomorrow, you'll follow me just a little bit deeper, a little bit further with me. Jesus says, follow me to you. So how do we follow him? How do we become more, better way of saying is how do we become the kind of people who follow him? Well, following Jesus is not a one-time thing. It's actually a life rhythm thing. Jesus says to his disciples, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. That's a strange sentence. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. That's just bad grammar unless it's Greek, in which case it's saying it very intentionally, not just I'm going to make you fishers of men. That's not what it says. 
He says, I'm going to make you become fishers of men. Because you know what? You're not fishers of men yet. And I'm not just going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you become fishers of men. How do we become the kind of people who follow Jesus? We become. Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to become. I'm calling you into a a process, into a path, into a journey with me. Developing the your heart and your spirit and your mind to be the kind of person who, the kind of people who follow. How do we follow Jesus' call? We leave every day. We leave our nets every day. We, we leave our, our parents in a boat every day. That's some of how we do. We surrender. Every day you begin your day saying, Lord, this is your day. This is your way, this is your path, this is your job, these are your children, this is your place. All right, Lord, this is, this is yours. So what's, what way are we going? Because this is, this is yours. We surrender, we leave, we leave our nets every day. And we look for him. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Obviously, that's its own sermon, but you know, lamps and lights, they don't go very far. They're not spotlights that shoot all the way down. They're just right around you, just enough not to stumble. That's the invitation. That's what the word of God does for you. You can't store it all up. Some of you guys in here, you went to seminary, and you know this. You know a ton of Bible and a ton of theology, and you know what? You can't store it up. You, you got you to be fed. You, to follow, you have to have the energy, fresh, renewed, life-giving energy of following him, not his principles, him, not his theology. Oh, yes, him according to his principles. Yes, him according to his theology, absolutely. But him, him we proclaim, Colossians says. So we got we to gotta look for him. You got to see him in his word, and you got to see him in the midst of life and other other people's lives and then you got to find yourself praying praying walking around praying the kind of praying that we talked about in that series we did in the fall the kind of honest and expectant and trustworthy and truthful and 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 um other words that were in the series (laughs) they're written down over here somewhere but praying, praying the kind of praying that I was you know fumbling around as I walked through you praying the kind of honest hey lord this isn't great Oh, Lord, this is scary. Or, Lord, I don't want to leave that. I'm sorry, I just don't. Like, I've, I've worked hard for that. I've waited a long time for that. I don't want to. We follow him by being honest with him and walking with him throughout the day, not just at meals, and talking to him about the reality of what is unfolding in us and around us and with us. Telling other people about it. We look for him. And we talk with him. And then we get people around us that are going to help us take this thing when we take it and throw it on the ground. And they're going to say, this belongs in your hand. Fo- follow this. Let me, let me put this back into your fingers because this is the way. You'll notice that um, Jesus doesn't just call one these guys. He calls 
two of them. And then he calls another pair of them. Yes, they're both brothers, which means that automatically you have like sibling rivalry dynamics. How awesome is that? The Bible is just honest. And he'll call Levi, and then he's going to call Philip and Bartholomew. And you know what? Next thing you know, he's going to have 12 dudes, which is just enough to have a real nice mess. And just the right number to be able to show that God can change the world with hardly anyone. Fishermen and tax collectors, zealots. You see, because they were following him. The one, who, the one who has the authority, the one who, who says all authority belongs to me. And so, so when you follow him, well, amazing things happen. They became the kind of people who would fish for men. Become the kind of people who follow Jesus by becoming. How are you becoming? What, what rhythms of life are, are giving life to your following? We become and we participate. Jesus says, I will make you to become fishers of men. Fishers of men. Kind of a strange metaphor. Don't really see it anywhere else in kind of ancient literature. You're thinking, well, he's talking to fishermen, you know. Peter seems dense at times. He has to kind of like talk on his level. That's not what's going on here. Fishers of men. The ocean or the sea in, in Hebrew literature, in Hebrew symbolism, in, in biblical symbolism, the deep is, is always darkness and chaos and death. That, I mean, throughout the scriptures, everyone's going down in a bad way when they're in the water. And what Jesus is saying is that I'm going to make you the kind of people who are going to go to where people are in the darkness, in the chaos, and in death, and you're going to be the people who are going to bring life to death. You're going to bring light to darkness. You're going to bring peace to chaos. That's, that's what I'm sending you to be. Fisher of, of men and women and children and troublemakers and good boys and good girls. Fishers of men, the kind of people who will, who, will, who will tell the truth about who God is and what God says about himself, who will, who will step into the places where, where evil abounds and will, will seek to bring extraction and healing and renewal physically, spiritually, will step into the places that are broken or needy, troublesome people are and, and bring vitality and life healing and restoration. That's what it means to be fishers of men. And we follow Jesus by participating in the thing that he's made us to become. We become by becoming. Isn't that crazy? As you participate, you become. We don't just become and then once we're fully qualified and we've memorized all the laws of Exodus, then we become fishers of men. No. They started right away. That's what he wants to do with you. That's what he's doing with you if you're letting him. He's making you agents, agents of renewal and healing, of refreshment. So are you following Jesus? You know how we become the kind of people who follow Jesus? We have to see him following his thread all the way to the cross. See, I said that this is where always where it leads. Yeah, this is actually where it always leads me. This is one of the reasons why we're here every Sunday at this table. 
because this table is the reminder that, that Jesus' thread led him to death for you, for me. That he didn't just, he didn't just leave, he didn't just leave his nets. Like he left the glory of heaven. He put it aside, it says in Ephesians. He didn't just leave his dad in a boat. He received the condemnation from the father. The opposite of the voice we talked about last week. This is my beloved son. That's not what he heard on the cross. Silence. Rejection. You see, Jesus' thread followed. When he followed his thread, it led him to this place so that you and I could be led here as a table of joy and remembrance and refreshment and hope. That's the good news that we come to every week, right? And he wants you to follow him. He wants you to follow him here, and then from here, as you continue to be becoming, that you're the kind of people who bring this reality out there. And it means you're gonna be awkward. It means you're gonna make some people uncomfortable. It means you're gonna be around people that you don't like. And, you, and God will tell you all along the way, he's like, I know. This is exactly what I have for you. So let's be the kind of people who follow Jesus together to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for these scriptures. Thank you for the way in which you, um, you demonstrate who you are so clearly. Thank you, Father, that you lead us and that everywhere you lead us, you say, I will be with you. And so, Lord, as we come to this table this morning, we come to remember your goodness, your choosing for us, your dying for us, and then you're giving us life that we actually may follow you because we can. So that wherever we are, spinning ourselves, following your thread, that we would know that, that you've got us, that you know, and that it is well. And so that's what we receive at this table today, Father. The confirmation that it is well and the declaration that you have made us to become fishers of men. So Lord, will you empower us to follow you in everything? Thank you that all authority has been given to you. That's the kind of, that's the kind of savior and God that is worthy of and can be followed. And so we follow you. And we pray this in Christ, our Savior. Amen. I want to engage your imagination as you come down for communion today. I want you to imagine as you come, as you stand up and you move towards the center, wherever you're sitting, move towards the center, that you've got one of these strings running down the aisle. And that in some ways you're, you're, you're holding the thread and you're following the thread down to what God has invited you to here. But I do want to say, as you come down, follow the thread and be honest. Be honest with him. Be honest with yourselves. Do you have places to repent? Are there some stuff you're not letting go of? Something you're not willing to leave? His invitation is drop it right here. Take these elements. Go back and trust him. It's about to be a wild ride if you let him. If you belong to Christ, if Jesus has rescued you, 
then this is your meal. So come, receive the body and the blood of Christ for you.